From WUSA 9 in Washington, D.C., this is 18 Days. It is the question no one has been able to answer for the past four years. What happened to Relisha Rudd? There's an Amber Alert out there for this eight-year-old girl. Her name is Relisha Rudd. She's from Southeast D.C. Where is she? Pray for us. Help me get my daughter back home safely. The FBI just released a chilling surveillance tape of Relisha and 51-year-old Khalil Tatum walking down the interior hallway of the Holiday Inn Express. She was with him for a lot of times and he brought her back. Is she still alive? That's the one of the facts that's like, oh my gosh, there's something really wrong here. What new information do investigators have today they didn't have back then? Social workers went to the shelter and figured out it was all a lie. Uh, this discovery was a shock um, for us. Uh, we were um, very focused on finding Relisha. Do you think Relisha's alive? Yeah. Why do you think that? I always have strong hopes. You can't never let yeah. your hopes down. From day one, police said Relisha Rudd was with a killer. Khalil Tatum, the janitor at the homeless shelter where she lived. The problem was, investigators didn't find out she was missing until 18 days, 18 days, after anyone last saw her alive. And at this point in the investigation, just days after the search for Relisha began, the FBI released stunning video of Relisha walking down a hotel hallway with Tatum. Investigators and reporters, you know, we were just trying to make sense of this crazy case. None of the information that we're learning is bringing us any closer to finding Relisha Rudd or Khalil Tatum. And then there's the community, the community in outrage, demanding answers. At this point, she'd been missing for almost a month. The family was receiving death threats and suspicion started falling on them. And that's because it wasn't even her own mother who reported her missing. It was a social worker who was investigating Relisha's absences at school. The story was that Relisha was sick and under the care of a Dr. Tatum, who we soon learned was no doctor at all, but really the janitor at the homeless shelter, posing as her excuse for missing school. Again, here's reporter Bruce Lashan, who was one of the first to cover this story. This was a troubled, troubled family. And if the parents failed to report, and the schools did notice, of course, that Relisha was not in school, but the parents kept saying that the absences were excused, yeah. that Dr. Tatum uh, had excused Relisha from school. Did you find it, that to be alarming that this Dr. Tatum, because we found out later, obviously, that he was the janitor at the shelter, did you find that specific fact troubling it's terrifying why would a mom say that a janitor at the homeless shelter a man with a history of uh, larceny and various other crimes that he was a doctor and that he excused uh, her daughter's uh, absence from school it's 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 that's that's the one of the facts that's like oh my gosh there's something really wrong here During those weeks when investigators were searching for Relisha and we started hearing some of those details come out, 
we also tried to find him. We looked for anyone who knew him. We went to all the addresses we had. And you know, what we found was very few people who knew him, including his own family, wanted to talk. So in the fall of 2017, my producer and I went to the homeless shelter where he worked, and we did talk to some of his co-workers who told us they were still in shock and still trying to process what had happened even after all these years. His boss told me he was a stellar employee. She said there were never any concerns and that she never suspected a thing. And then several employees said they never even saw them together, never even saw them talking. Well, we know now he was able to fool a lot of people. There are many restrictions in place at the homeless shelter, so it's important to point out only the parent is allowed to take their own child out of the shelter. It's also highly discouraged for any of the employees to have any kind of relationship with any of the people living there. Khalil Tatum's supervisor told me that he'd worked at the shelter for about two and a half years and Relicious family lived there for about a year. It's still not clear when they met and how long he'd befriended the family, but we do know other people outside the shelter did see Relisha and Tatum together. In fact, we talked to Tatum's landlord when Relisha went missing four years ago. He said he saw the two of them together at Tatum's apartment just a few weeks earlier. He was a great guy. And a good tenant. And one of the greatest tenants, you know, him and his wife. And when you saw Relisha, she seemed fine. She was outside playing. No sign that she was afraid of Mr. Tatum or, or anything? Or like. any type of abuse for Mr. Tatum. You know, that's why, you know, just un- unbelievable to believe all this is happening. And I would say, man, man, just turn yourself in, man. It's just unbelievable that you would do something like this. If he has a, a side that we don't know, he hit it fantastic because I've never seen someone so well-groomed, expensive suits, tailored. Now, Tatum told neighbors, including the woman you just heard from, that he worked for the District of Columbia. He said he worked for D.C. He dressed so well, they said that they always took him for an executive, not a janitor. And that was the one thing that stood out to me as well. In one of the pictures we had of him, he looked like a well-dressed man who was often seen in these these three-piece suits, and he had a dress hat that looked like a fedora. He was clean-shaven with a mustache and glasses. He just looked like he could be someone's grandpa. In the one picture we often used in the media, he's wearing a white tank top and he's got gold necklaces. He's got several tattoos on his upper left arm. He's crossing his arms and he's also wearing a a nice hat. He just looks very confident. Well, he evidently carried that confidence with him to the shelter. Because here is a guy who's been able to trick his boss, his co-workers, even his landlord, and now vulnerable families at the homeless shelter. I kept hearing that as an underlying theme from Relicious family, trust. It was all about trust. He was able to gain their trust like he did so many others. In fact, Relicious' own step-grandmother, Belinda Wheeler, talked about all the money and time he spent with Relisha. I know he took her to the ice capades or somewhere and went to play with this supposed-to-be granddaughter. He, she was with him for a lot of times, and he brought her back. And she was like, oh, it's gone, Father. He good, she good. Now my baby gonna be all right. He said he gonna open a bank account for her, and guess she trusted him. I, I don't know about you, but something about that just seems so off, right? I mean, if a man you barely know offers to open a bank account for your child, 
you gotta wonder why. And yet we're hearing from those close to Relish's family as if it is completely normal. I still wanted to get clarity as to why Relish's family did not see their relationship as a red flag. And we're going to hear more from Relish's mom and her grandmother later about that. But first to another big, big point of contention here. As for who was caring for Relisha, I got the impression after talking to both her mom and her grandmother that she split time between both of them. Now that meant she spent her time at the shelter and wherever her grandmother was. And a lot of that time was at the apartment of Melissa's other daughter, Ashley. So that's not really that unusual. We all know it takes a village to raise a child, especially when you're going through hard times. It's pretty common for children to spend their days with several relatives. Now, when I spoke with Relisha's grandmother, she basically told me she wanted to have another chance at helping her grandkids since her own children had gone through the foster care system. She had four daughters herself. Relisha's mom, Shamika, was one of them. actually found Melissa to be very open, but often contradictory in her statements. While I was talking with Melissa, her phone kept blowing up. It was all these news organizations who wanted to talk to her and try to get an interview with the, the one person no one had heard from, and that was Shamika. During my interview with her, we often had to pause so she could take a call from, you know, some local or national news producer or reporter. And and yes, she was very open to talking to the media at this time, and she would always take your call. Now, a story Melissa told me, but we haven't been able to verify, is how Tatum met the family. Melissa says that Relisham and her brothers often got up early before their mom and wanted to get a hot breakfast, which the shelter provided. But the rule was you had to be with your parent. She claims that's where Tatum stepped in sometimes when he noticed the kids were by themselves. Now, this is her claim. Supervisors in the shelter tell me that that would have never been allowed if someone had seen it. Employees just aren't allowed to mingle with the residents and especially not take someone's children to go eat breakfast. Quite frankly, Melissa doesn't know for sure because she never lived at the shelter at the time, and you're not allowed inside the shelter unless you do live there. So she never saw this firsthand. It was either what she thought or what she'd been told. It's also possible that Shamika had met Tatum while walking inside the shelter or away from the shelter. But the point being, their only connection was the shelter. There was also this question as to who allowed Relisha to be alone with Khalil Tatum. Was it mom? Was it grandma? Was it both? Well, one thing we do know, both dispute each other's accounts. Here's something they do both agree on, though. Tatum did often pick up Relisha from other locations, not the shelter, and he was often with her away from the shelter. Melissa even admitted to me there were times Tatum would pick up Relisha from her daughter Ashley's apartment and take her for playdates with his supposed granddaughter. She also says Shamika knew all about it. That would become a major point of contention between Relisha's mom and grandma. Who allowed Relisha to be alone with Tatum for the last time? Now, I have two daughters, but as any mama out there knows, you would never in a million years let your young daughter be alone with any man or woman, for that matter, who you only knew for a short period of time. Why was it okay for Khalil Tatum, the janitor at the homeless shelter, to have any business to take her granddaughter anywhere, period? She was a mom of four daughters herself. 
I asked her that very question when I finally sat down and talked with her four years ago, and here's what she told me back then about why she did not have any red flags. I do the same thing. I take people's kids with me as well. I get permission from the parent. My daughter says, Mom, that's Mr. Tatum. You know, I say, but it's not going to look right for your daughter to go. She say, Mom, he goes, she going to play with the granddaughter. It's fine. Every time my granddaughter comes back, she tell me, I had fun with Mr. Tatum's granddaughter. You know, I want to go back. I've been around this man. Like, if he is getting off from work and he's coming down going on his way home and he see me walking, he will pick me up and give me a ride. So I have been in this man's car by myself and I didn't get no un uncomfortable feeling. It's mind-blowing, right? I mean, all we keep hearing about is how great this guy is. He sounds like an outstanding citizen. But there was even another side to Tatum they didn't even know about. We found that he had a criminal past, a long record that included breaking and entering and grand larceny. We also know he filed for divorce from Andrea Tatum just a few weeks before Relisha disappeared. He was about to celebrate 24 years of marriage with Andrea. And when you look at pictures of them online, they, they look like a typical happy couple. The day police started their search for Relisha and Tatum, they were led to this motel room where they found Andrea Tatum dead. She was murdered. Police say she was shot in the back of the head and there was nothing to indicate she fought back. They also say Tatum was on surveillance video going into that room with Andrea and walking out without her. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to what she might have known and why he might have killed her. We still do not know. Because it was that very day, the day police said Tatum killed his wife, that a social worker had gone to visit the homeless shelter to meet with this Dr. Tatum to talk about Relisha's absences from school. Now, Khalil Tatum, the janitor, left work early that day. So when the social worker went to the shelter looking for a Dr. Tatum, the worker quickly realized... There was no Dr. Tatum. And when the social worker realized something was off, that social worker called police. So here's a child who's been missing for weeks now, and she's missed 30 days of school, and no one has reported her missing. Had it not been for that social worker, who knows how long it would have been before police discovered Relisha was gone. When I interviewed Relisha's family four years ago, no one could definitively tell me the exact last day they saw her. Police say no one in the family saw her for at least 18 days before investigators found out she was missing. Now, Relisha's mom, Shamika, she could tell me moments of when she last saw Relisha and even maybe what was happening during that day, but she too could not pinpoint an actual date. That is why the police timeline became so crucial in trying to tell the story. The one piece of evidence that we do have that actually shows who she was with and where and when is that chilling surveillance video of Relisha walking into a hotel room with Tatum. But that was back on February 26th. That was our last image of Relisha, but it was not the last time she was caught on surveillance video. That date was on March 1st, and that was at another motel. 
Now, the only video that police ever released was the February 26th video, the same video that we just told you about in the last episode. And Melissa did tell me that when she saw that video, she recalled that was probably the day that Tatum told her he was taking Relisha to a pool party at a hotel. In that video, he was not holding Relisha's hand. He was not forcing her to go anywhere. It looked like she was following him freely and carrying a bag of what looked like maybe clothes. That could also back up the story that Melissa told me that Tatum had taken Relisha shopping the day before the alleged hotel pool party to get her a bathing suit. Dory and I, we had to see this place for ourselves. Now, we did not take any video inside the hotel, but here is something we did find interesting as we walked the halls. That Holiday Inn Express is used to house some of D.C.'s homeless, but anyone can book a room there. It basically serves as an overflow hotel for D.C.'s homeless population, and then the city foots the bill. The other floors are for anyone who wants to pay for a room. We looked into booking a room, and it was $250 a night. It did have an indoor pool. There were five floors, cameras everywhere. It was really no different from any other Holiday Inn. We have since learned from D.C. officials that both of the hotels where Khalil took Relisha were operating as homeless shelters in some capacity at the time Relisha disappeared. These hotels were not even three miles from the D.C. homeless shelter, which, of course, in D.C. can mean a 30-minute drive in traffic. But if you are picturing some off-the-beaten-path secluded hotel like I was, it was anything but. Uh, hotels around the city, and these two particular hotels, by the way, are located in a very congested, very busy area. I mean, it is hard to get around over here. We're going to have to turn around, and I really don't know. It's going to take gonna us like a, a whole loop around this yeah, area. There's a Checkers and a Dunkin' Donuts and a, a McDonald's a bank. and Banks. And there's all these... It's a it's it's one of those areas where it's not just uh, intersection. It's like seven roads converging, you know? <laughs> all in one. All in one. And it's heavily traveled. So this is an area where, you know, he wasn't trying to find a secluded hotel to take her. Uh, now it is my belief that he took her to these hotels because he had knowledge of homeless people using these hotels um, because the city was using these to house homeless people. Mm. And so it wasn't, you know, initially I guess my reaction was, oh my gosh, he took her to a hotel. Like, where's this? I was expecting a secluded hotel that no one could see, you know, off the beaten path, away from, you know, away from the, uh, you know, people and cars. Mm-hmm. But this is an area where... If you, you cannot not be seen. I mean, there are cameras everywhere. All right, so just across the street is a day's end. This is the last place we believe Relisha was seen alive on March 1st. There is surveillance video, we understand, of her walking into this particular motel. But unlike the Holiday Inn Express, all of the rooms open to the outside and there's only two floors. This motel is used exclusively, solely, to house homeless people in D.C., and it's another one of the overflow motels the city uses if there's not a room available at D.C. General. We learned there were no working cameras outside. It was heavily guarded, there was security everywhere, and we were told we could not talk to anyone or record anything. It was also right next door to a large D.C. police station, so... There were plenty of police cruisers around the area. 
I wanted to find out why investigators released the Holiday Inn Express video, but not the surveillance video from the Days Inn. After all, that was reportedly the last time she was seen alive, right? So we requested that video and many others they might have that we don't know about through the Freedom of Information Act. The FBI responded to us that no other pieces of video would be released because it was all part of an active investigation. But the March 1st video is important because, again, that's what investigators have used to determine the last time Relisha was seen alive. And the reason for that? Because on March 2nd, there's also surveillance video of Khalil Tatum without Relisha. On that day, investigators say he went to a Home Depot about a mile away from the day's end where he made some purchases that led D.C.'s police chief to go on the record about a dark discovery. As if that surveillance video wasn't bad enough, this made everything so much worse. We know that Mr. Tatum purchased, among other items, a carton of black 42-gallon self-tie contractor trash bags. Well, we've got chilling news tonight on 8-year-old Relisha Rudd. Police believe that the janitor at the homeless shelter where Relisha lived murdered the little girl mm. and then got rid of her body in Kenilworth Park in Northeast before going back to work. And then weeks later, shooting his wife to death. Bruce Lashane is live at the park. And, you know, Bruce, we were all hoping for a happier end to this story. I know a lot of folks there are still, though, holding out hope right now. Yeah, and you know what, uh, Jan, police really aren't ruling out the possibility that by some miracle they might find Relisha Rudd alive. But they do believe that sometime early this month, Khalil Tatum murdered her, bought those black plastic garbage bags, and then used them to dispose of her body, the body of this beautiful little girl, someplace in this massive park. All day today, police cadets have been conducting a grid search along with the FBI through Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens. There are hundreds and hundreds of acres of woods and marshes here. Police have been able to trace Tatum's movements from early in the month, and they said he was here for some period of time, a day after Relisha was last seen with him, the last day, the last time she was seen alive. Mr. Tatum was last seen in the presence of Relisha on the 1st. On the 2nd, uh, he made a purchase of those contractor-sized trash bags and shortly thereafter was in this area around the aquatic gardens for a period of time. He was sighted, went back to work, and was sighted numerous times between the 2nd and the 20th, and in none of those sightings was Relisha with him. Oof. Okay, so uh, let's think about this for a minute. Here is a guy who went back to work at the very place where Relisha lived. Did he ever see Shamika? What did he say to her if he did? We know Relisha was not at school after March 1st. She was never seen on any more surveillance video after that date, and she was not at the shelter after that date. And that wasn't even the whole picture. I mean, you heard the police chief say that Tatum purchased, among other items, contractor trash bags. Well, those other items we later learned were a shovel and lye, a chemical that can be used to speed up the decomposition of bodies. That was such a bombshell. To hear the chief of police describing this now is pretty much a recovery mission. Such a hard turn in the case, police even raided the room where they believed she was last seen alive. We sent a reporter out to that motel when we heard police were searching it, 
And at the time, we really weren't sure why they were raiding it, but we knew it was connected somehow to Relisha's disappearance. And we begin tonight with breaking news in the disappearance of eight-year-old Relisha Rudd. Just a few minutes ago, police left the Days Inn on New York Avenue, and Mola Lange is live from the scene with what they were looking for. Mola. Well, Derek, we caught police as they were leaving about 30, 45 minutes ago. They were here at the Days Inn in Northeast on New York Avenue. They were searching a room. We do know that. We do know that that search is in relation to the Khalil Tatum investigation. What exactly police were searching for here at the Days Inn, what they may have found here, that we have not confirmed. Now, this motel is only a few miles from the Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens, the park where police have been searching for the last two days, looking for evidence. Now, Police Chief Kathy Lanier even saying yesterday that they're not even eliminating the possibility that they could be searching for Relisha's body if that turns up there. Kenilworth Park is this massive 700-acre stretch of land just down the road from the Days Inn. It's got a bunch of ponds, marshes, trees. You know, it's got those narrow, muddy paths. It is a challenging place to search. Investigators and volunteer teams fanned out elbow to elbow, walking in that methodical pace you often see when they're searching for something, and no area was overlooked. They also brought out divers and cadaver dogs, another sign they thought they were looking for a body. Police were now calling this a recovery mission, but they were still holding out hope that Relisha would be found alive. All the while, Khalil Tatum hasn't been seen from anyone. His cell phone signal is what led police to the park. Well, one sunny fall afternoon, my producer and I drove there, and it was a ghost town. But we could tell that for those searchers, it was a lot of ground to cover. Most of the paths in the park you had to walk. There was plenty of open grassy areas, but there was also a, a lot of overgrown brush. I mean, it was an area you could easily hide. And day after day, four years ago, we watched as police there searched. And day after day, they came up empty-handed. One week after they began their search at that park and exactly one month after Alicia was last seen alive, there was a big break in the case that would be a game changer in the investigation. On March 31st, a body was found. Here is our newscast from that night. Tonight, a major break in the all-out search for that missing eight-year-old Relisha Rudd. Today, search crews found her suspected abductor's body. But still, no sign of that little girl. Our Mark Albert was on the scene most of the day and is here now with the very latest. Mark? Jan Derrick, police found Khalil Tatum dead of an apparent suicide around midday. After the search expanded even more, bringing in hundreds of volunteers, some of whom came from a nearby elementary school, the homeless shelter where Relisha stayed and even retired police officers. After five days, they found what they did not expect. Uh, this discovery was a shock um, for us. Uh, we were um, very focused on finding Relisha, and that's what we came here for. This is um, both physically and mentally tedious work. This is very uh, draining on those people who've been out here doing these searches day after day after day. Our primary focus here was to find Relisha. The search still has uh, underway and there's still a lot of work to be done and more searching to be done. We are not finished here. Yeah, uh, no one saw this coming. Investigators were just getting started and now the one person who likely knew where Relisha was took his secrets to the grave. Police found Khalil Tatum in a shed in Kenilworth Park. He had shot and killed himself using the same gun police say he used to kill his wife. Police were now even more desperate to find Relisha, but they did not. And just three days later, 
police called off the search at Kenilworth Park. Again, here's reporter Bruce Lashan, who was there every day during the search. You're about to hear his report on the story then and his thoughts now. Neighbors in this Northeast DC community have watched for a week now, even helped as more than 100 officers, FBI agents, police and fire cadets and divers have engaged in an exhaustive search in the woods and waters of this 700 acre park. We're all a bit relieved that we did not find Relisha here the way we anticipated we would find her. Um, it's heart-wrenchingly frustrating that we don't have answers as to where she is right now, and we just don't. The one person I think that could have given us the best answer, uh, Mr. Tatum, uh, can't give us that answer anymore. If Tatum dumped her body in a dumpster, she may never be found. You're looking at landfills that would require searches that are not only extremely hazardous because of explosive hazards from methane, but acres and acres uh, of area uh, going as deep as 15 feet. Uh, what were your sources telling you at that point uh, in regards to what they believe happened to Relisha? The chief of police made it clear that she thought it was possible that Khalil Tatum had murdered Relisha and that he had disposed of her body perhaps by putting her body in a dumpster and as horrifying as it is to think about, you know, if the garbage collection people had come, picked up that dumpster, taken it to the dump, imagine the challenge of trying to dig through it. It's, it's, it's basically impossible. I mean, it has been done, but imagine the challenge of trying to dig through a mountain of garbage and find a body. I mean, it's, it's virtually impossible at, at that point when they knew when they suspected that that was what had happened. Yeah, this is uh, really tough to, to take this all in. It is devastating. It's heartbreaking. Four years later, it does not get any easier knowing that she is still somewhere out there. Right now, she would be 12 years old. But you need to know that police never stop searching. In fact, this past January, police got a tip and started a new search. Today, D.C. police were searching the Anacostia River and its banks. Our Scott Broom is in the Anacostia River Park. They were here in the Anacostia River this afternoon with divers searching this area here this morning and this afternoon. And this is notable because just in the distance there, right on the other side of the river, within walking distance of the bank, is D.C. General Hospital. That is the site of the homeless shelter where Relisha Rudd was living with her family before she disappeared. Today's search included a cadaver dog and focused on an area near the CSX Railroad Bridge, while ground searchers scoured the banks on both sides of the Anacostia River. According to a statement from Metropolitan Police, investigators, quote, received information that potential evidence was in the area of Anacostia Park. And as far as we know, nothing was ever found during that search. But as I started looking a little deeper into the investigation last summer, I wanted some clarity on some of the facts that were revealed when the investigation began. So I called former D.C. Police Chief Kathy Lanier. I just really wanted to get a feel from her about the case and, and just, quite frankly, wanted to talk to her off the record. However, even off the record, she felt it would be unfair to talk since she was no longer with the department. Okay, fair enough. 
So I was directed to D.C. Police Captain Michelle Karen. She was the new investigator on the case, and she had a fresh set of eyes and perhaps a new perspective, and she did talk to me. A few months, though, after my interview with her, she moved to a different division, meaning there's now even a new lead investigator on the case. And as far as any new updates, the police department says there is nothing to report right now. But as you'll hear Captain Karen emphasize, they do believe someone out there knows something and their investigation is far from over. What you're about to hear is a brief part of my conversation with Captain Karen, starting with my first question about that March 1st surveillance video no one in the public has seen. There's also this March 1st video. You walked by a fountain. Are you familiar with, you're familiar with that video, correct? Yes, right? yes. Okay. Why was that video not released to the media or to the public? I have to go back and talk to the people who were handling the investigation three years ago. I mean, I would assume that just like any other investigation, we're going to keep the information uh, within the investigation confidential until we can vet it out or follow the leads or there's other reasons to release video. Um, gotcha. But other than that, I, I don't know. I wasn't a part of the investigation back then. Did she ever walk out of the motel room with him? I, I don't know. I don't have that. I don't. I haven't looked at the video, so I'm not sure. I don't want to tell you one thing or the other without, you know, without checking and looking back through all that stuff. Um, we have so much information in this case, and obviously not enough. But um, I, I don't. I don't know if there's video that shows her walking in or out, or out or not. A lot of people thought that when Khalil Tatum was found dead, and when his wife was found dead, that we would never learn the true story. But you believe there is still somebody alive who's out there who does know the story? I, I believe that there's somebody else out there who has information that they just haven't come forward yet. And maybe it is not malicious that they just don't remember right now, but um, I, don't, I don't think that this happened in a vacuum just with Khalil Tatum. We're still getting tips in, and the more we keep it out there, the more tips we can get in. And I'm hoping that someone will come forward and, and give us the information we need. Um, so I don't mind, you know, trying to answer the questions, which are pretty limited at what I can provide, but I'd rather people keep talking about it so that maybe somebody will remember or will finally um, gain the strength to come forward with the information that they do know they have. One thing I can say about Captain Karen is that it's clear she was determined to close this case and she wanted to make sure Relisha was never forgotten. And she's not the only one. There are still plenty of conspiracy theories out there and online rumors that Relisha was sex trafficked. And let me be clear, this was never a theory that police nor the FBI ever put out there. In fact, quite frankly, just the opposite. They've exhausted every resource to see if that could be the case, and they do not believe that she was sex trafficked. I did have an interesting conversation with Jamila Larson, who's in charge of the Children's Playtime Project at the D.C. General Homeless Shelter. Now, that's the program Relisha would go to after school where, you know, she could dance and paint and play with all the other kids. She told me a story of a teenager who lived at the shelter who did get caught up in a sex trafficking ring of sorts. Now, unlike Relisha, this teen had run away before and Jamila was desperate to find her. Here's what she told me. And we had a meeting with the police detective because we had another uh, young person go missing from D.C. General who was 14 the year before Militia. And I wasn't happy with how that case was, was handled and neglected because this child had a history of running away. 
and I couldn't get a response from the police, and this child was trafficked to California. So I wanted to go back and figure out what went wrong in her case and what can we do to strengthen the safety net for teens who go missing. She's back now. Um, how I knew she went to California is because um, I called the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um, to file a, a, a report because I couldn't get a call back from the detective here in D.C., nor could the mother. And the mother had homemade posters all around D.C. General, and she was looking for her daughter all by herself. Um, so the, once the National Center for Missing and Children got involved, they um, were able to connect with, they got a call um, from Los Angeles Child Welfare who um, got a tip that there's an unattended minor in a hotel room suspected victim of, of sex trafficking. And so they were able to, to find her and connect with myself and her mother. And then we had to figure out how to bring her home. So oh our volunteers actually raised money to fly her back. And then I had to figure out how to find housing for her. So we worked with the Coalition of Advocates to pass a law to make it now illegal to arrest children for prostitution and um, require that the police department and the child welfare department re report missing children. So we have been very active in trying to prevent what happened to her from happening to others. And I've been um, harassing the police department for ever since to try to publicize missing kids more often, which is why I'm so happy that they finally did this winter, because we've been asking for that for years, because literally no one from her hometown was looking for her. Naturally, I wanted to talk to this young woman and her family, but they're still, understandably, not ready. But Jamila did mention how instrumental the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children was in finding that teen. That organization was started by America's Most Wanted host, John Walsh, after his own son was kidnapped and killed. I wanted to talk to them about Relisha and what they knew about her disappearance. So I called Bob Lowry, who is the vice president of the Missing Children's Division. He revealed to me they have had a significant involvement with the Relisha Rudd case from day one. He also told me they have exhausted every resource to see if she, too, had been sex trafficked. They have so many investigative tools to track these missing children, tools that even he couldn't tell me about. But he said they had found no evidence that Relisha got caught up in that world. There was this widespread belief when this first came out that there was this potential that she could have been uh, trafficked in some way. Have you guys found any evidence to support that? No, I know. I do know that uh, there was lots of speculation, especially in the community, that um, the child may have been put in child sex trafficking. And you know, it's, and I can't say that it's impossible for something like that to happen. But we have found nothing to support that. Uh, and sadly, we looked um, like we would on any other lead, but we found nothing to support that conclusion. Uh, what do you think the chances are of, of a relationship to be found alive and well? I would have to say would probably be. You know, it becomes less likely as time goes on, and and, and I say that cautiously because you know, um, but I also I think we all face the same realities when it comes to children who've been missing, say since you know in this case since March of 2014. Um, the likelihood that we're going to find her alive and well does diminish over time. But I also am very cautious because I also say that we we found many children after many years. Um, or we suspected the worst that happened, and uh, we will find them alive and well and return them and reunite them with their families. 
which is why we have a very strong, uh, very um, staunch policy here at the National Center that we will not close a child's case until that child's been physically found. And I have to point out that we have no idea what happened to Alicia. Um, you know, obviously, when this man killed his wife and took his own life, um, obviously, critical information went with him, and uh, now we, the daunting task is to try to repiece what it is that uh, what what he knew and and what what may have happened to this child. There's always new information, and there's always things that we can do. I think in every kind of uh, every time that uh, we've had a missing child investigation, I can tell you there's somebody out there that has some key piece of information that can help un- unlock this mystery. And we need that person to come forward. Now, it could be someone with direct information and has knowledge of what really happened to Relisha that, that could share this with the D.C. Police Department or the FBI. Or maybe someone who just saw something uh, and may not have thought it to be significant at the time. Maybe they did see something, and, and we would urge them to come forward. But I can tell you that uh, every every missing child inquiry, investigation, or search that I've been involved with, which has been hundreds and thousands over the years, uh, someone out there knows uh, something that can help unlock this mystery. And we've been open since uh, 1984, and over a period of time, you know, our recovery rate when we first opened was around 64%. Today, it's 98 to 99%. And you know, technology has played a significant role in that, and the evolving uh, technologies that we have available that we're applying to those older cases. And you know, we're we're finding. Uh, we're, we will we take a no stone left unturned attitude towards when it comes to our kids and in our pursuit of, of the facts and circumstances what, which can lead us back to finding the kids. I had no idea you guys had a 98-99% recovery rate. That's incredible. So, yes. it, so she's one of your 1 or 2% that you've not been able to find? That's correct. You know, and, you know, we, we join Relisha's case with about 3,500 to 4,000 other long-term cases that we have that we're working on each day. And, um, and we were relentlessly looking for these children, and we're going to continue in that. This is what 18 days will do to an investigation. The saying goes, the first 48 hours are the most critical. Well, not only did police not know anything for the first 48 hours, they didn't know anything for the first 432 hours. The people who could have helped change that were the people closest to Relisha, her family. Next time on 18 Days, Relisha's mom, Shamika. So what we've reported is that you allowed your daughter to go with Khalil Tatum. That's not true. That is not true. Mm -mm. We talked with her then and years later. Has her story changed? The mother of all interviews. 18 Days is a production of WUSA 9. It's written and produced by me, Jan Jeffcoat, and Dory Olmos. Edited by Chris Mullen with help from Sonia Dasgupta. You can find photos, a timeline, and extended interviews at WUSA9.com slash 18 days. And if you have any tips or information about Relisha's disappearance, please call D.C.'s Metropolitan Police Department at 202-727-9099. You can also text a tip to 50411.